This is a Soul Fire production. Are you ready to enhance your sexual, erotic, and relational intelligence? Welcome to Higher Sex, where we take sex education to the next level. Come here to get curious about sex and cultivate acceptance, deep love, and intimacy. No topic is too hot to handle. As a psychotherapist and sexologist, Kelly playfully leads listeners through worlds of informative and actionable sex education, personal stories from her inspirational guests, and leading edge research from trusted experts. Higher sex is scandalous and explorative, leaving you wanting more. Let's keep this conversation going. Subscribe today so you don't miss out on these hot new episodes each week. Hello, hello, and thank you so much for tuning in this week. I am beyond excited to introduce Joanne Flannery to you. Joanne is one of my best friends, and I call her Jo. I fell in love with her when I met her in Perth, Australia, when we were doing our Master's of Sexology together. She also has a master's degree in marriage and family therapy and is a therapist in Chicago, owning Bliss Chicago Psychotherapy. And so she specializes in working with sexual desire discrepancy and intimacy concerns. So sexual desire discrepancy is when one person in a relationship wants sex more or differently than the other partner or partners. Anyways, she's just a wealth of information. I can't get enough of her, both personally and professionally. I like to soak her up and be around her as much as possible. And so welcome, Joe. Joe, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I love when we can work together like this and, um, and, you know, sharing the information is always really important. And, uh, and I love that part of our work. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah. you know, something that I feel like people always ask us is sort of like how we fell into this profession. So how did you decide to go to Curtin University in yeah. Australia and do a degree in sexology where we magically met there on campus and we're inseparable ever since? It was so magical. Seriously. Yeah. Halfway around the world, right? Or all the way, whatever. I decided to go into sexology when I was, let's see, I was 22 years old and I was living in Hawaii. So I went to Hawaii after I graduated from college. Uh, and I was a server for a year and I noticed that the people there had such a high quality of life, I thought, and everyone was like serving or teaching surfing or, um, you know, they had jobs that were their jobs, their jobs weren't their life. And so I looked at that and I was like, what would I be happy doing every day for the rest of my life? What would I really love to do? And I decided that I wanted to talk about sex (laughs) because I loved talking about sex and relationships all the time since high school, probably since grade school. And so I decided I wanted to go into sexology and I broke it to my parents by saying that I wanted to be a couples counselor. But then when I told them that I wanted to go to Perth to study sexology, I think they, they knew I wanted to go into sex therapy Yes, and, and that was it. And then I applied and I went there and I met you and I couldn't believe it. And we became best friends and then yeah. everything was good. Yeah. And the party continues. And the party continues. That's right. Well, we both had to do like dissertations and do some research 
research. Mm -hmm. And so something that you've done and really dove into was desire discrepancy, Mm -hmm. um, which I think that we will see in our practices and our respective practices often. And so I guess like, I'm not even going to ask you like a general question. It's just sort of like, how would you even start that topic? Like, what is it? Yeah. Right. Um, And what do you have to say about that? Yeah. So Sexual desire discrepancy is when one person in a relationship wants sex more or differently than the other person or people, if it's a polyamorous relationship. And although it can sound like um, it's just sex, really, it's there's much more to it because it can co- it can go on for a long time. Um, it can be really deeply embedded in the relationship, and people feel you know it affects people really deeply when they can't have the sex that they want to have with their partner. When people are in a relationship and they love each other and they just cannot figure out how to make sex work. Um, Sexual desire discrepancy happens in normal and healthy relationships. And there's just something about navigating sex and intimacy in long-term relationships that can be very, very tricky. You know, I think that you're really hitting on something there to normalize it because I think that so often, whether it's the media or culturally or what have you, or even just how you start out a relationship, there's a lot of lust and Mm -hmm. um, wanting to jump each other's bones like easily there. And then all of a sudden it's not there for some, um, for most, at least for one of the partners. And then it's like, okay, well, what's wrong with me? Or maybe, you know, we just don't mm-hmm. have it anymore. And you start to question a lot of different things and really miss each other in that yeah. way. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so, you know, you're talking about what we see in the media or what society tells us. And it tells us that, you know, we should want to have sex with our partners. It should be something that happens naturally, spontaneously even. And that's just not always true. Um, It is true in the beginning of intimate relationships, right? And so for the first six months to two years of a relationship, um, it can go on even longer. Usually both people, if it's a monogamous relationship, will feel um, spontaneous sexual desire. And so that means that they see their partner or they have a fantasy or they they smell something that, you know, is like pheromone-y or whatever, and they want to have sex. And, um, and so it's more spontaneous. And so that doesn't last for everyone forever. And so that becomes really confusing. A lot of people will think I don't feel um, sexual desire, you know, and they don't feel spontaneous sexual desire. But there's another type of sexual desire called um, responsive sexual desire. And that comes after someone decides that they want to try to have sex with their partner, um, you know, and it's usually because they love their partner, they want to feel close or they want to have an orgasm. So they think, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to try to engage sexually with my partner. And they check in, you know, is it an appropriate context? So do are they in the bedroom? Um, maybe they're in the kitchen. They feel like, you know, people could be watching or whatever. So after they make sure that they're in a place that they feel comfortable, they check in with their body and they think, is my body responding to sex? Okay, yeah, I'm becoming aroused. And then after arousal comes desire, and that's responsive desire. And responsive desire is just as strong as spontaneous desire. It just takes a little longer to get there. And it takes a little bit more trying. Um, You know, you have to put yourself out there and make sure that you're in a situation that, you know, lends to feeling like you want to have sex. And so for a lot of people, that's the type of desire that they have after they've been in a relationship for some time. And so when you say um, that you have to put yourself in a position to want to have sex or at least be interested in um, engaging with sex or sexuality or sexual intimacy, what are some go-tos that people typically could try or start with 
in terms of being mindful or aware of what's holding them back or like what's not contributing to being in that space? And then how could someone move to get into that space where they're more open versus mm-hmm. waiting for it to fall in your lap, right? Because like, I think mm-hmm. that's a lot of times people get stuck. They're like, I'll just wait. It'll come back eventually. And it's like, yeah. maybe it will, but it probably won't unless you work yeah. for it just a little bit. Like, so, like your lifestyle might have to switch or whatnot. So, well, and it, yeah, and it's such a good question because it's really, it can be really broad, you know, it can start out really broad, but it's also really specific and personal to everyone, right? And so Emily Nagowski will talk about accelerators and breaks. And so knowing what accelerates your, you know, your desire or your arousal or your attraction versus what are, what are your breaks? And so breaks could be anything from, you know, the dog is watching. Um, <laughs> Maybe to you like, like the- that though. <laughs> curve <laughs> to like, um, you know, or like, oh, maybe the kids will come in, you know, something like that. And so it's anything really that'll take someone's mind off of that, you know, kind of that sex that, sh- you know, really should be in the moment. Like when you're having sex and all of your five senses are engaged, you're really, really in the moment. And so really breaks are anything that take you out of that moment. But when you talk about what are some kind of building blocks to get to a place of being open to trying to have sex, let's see there, you know, the intimacy in the relationship could be one. So if the people in the relationship are just not very close or they don't really spend quality time together, starting to do that. So going on a date night is really important or even just, you know, putting the phones down for an hour in the evening and spending that time focused on each other or having the kids go to sleep a little early if that's even possible. Um, So you can focus on each other just to talk, just to catch up, just to be in that familiar place again with your intimate partner that doesn't feel like you're doing eight jobs at once where you can just kind of be in the moment. And so putting yourself in a more intimate situation that can build intimacy and then that can make you want to be more sexual. And then other things are, you know, feeling clean, like feeling like you have good breath, like you, you know, like you're ready for a sexual interaction. That could be another one. Aside from spending time together just to kind of build on that intimacy in the moment um, or build a little in the relationship. Sometimes relationships will have deeper kind of intimacy wounds. And then that's when intimacy or sex just doesn't feel, you know, you put yourself in a situation where you think, okay, yeah, I, I should be wanting to have sex now. Like we've spent time together. We've had a nice bath together, whatever it is. And then it's just not happening, right? It's just something doesn't feel right. And that could be an indication that there's something, there's something bigger going on. And so, you know, journaling, talking to a friend or talking to a sex therapist at that time could be advisable just to kind of dig a little deeper and see what's happening. And so something in terms of your, the relational dynamic or personally, like in terms of what's blocking you from wanting to be sexual with your partner or partners and what's holding you back, whether that's something that's going on for you individually or relationally, or as you Mm -hmm. said, a deeper wound that could have happened within the Mm -hmm. relationship or something that even just happened to you um, as you were developing and growing and evolving. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. And so there's this guy, David Snart, who actually just recently passed away not too long I ago. I didn't know that. Yeah, I know. It's so what? sad. I know. Um, oh. He was just really a huge contributor to um, the sexology field and then also desire discrepancy specifically. And so he would talk about intimacy blocks. And so an intimacy block could be anything from, you know, when we went to the gas station, um, you know, you had me pump the gas, but like, what the hell? Like, you should be pumping the gas. But like, maybe that's something that someone feels strongly about. It felt like, you know, they took advantage of them or whatever that is like that could be something 
or it could be like, you know, when my sister got married, you didn't come to the wedding. You know, it could be, it, then it could okay. be big. Yeah. Just, it could be like intimacy blocks really run the gamut and that's just really specific to the relationship. And so it just takes some conversation, some digging a little deeper. Um, you know, sometimes it takes more intensive therapy and, um, and you can, you can work through it a bit. That being said, we know gender is a social construct, but there, there's something to be said for the different genders. And so specifically, especially in sexology and the research and stuff, it's really gendered. That's just how they have been doing the research for ages. But they'll talk about how women need intimacy to have sex while men need sex to feel intimacy. And so that's kind of like a big fuck you, right? To everyone. It's like, well, goddamn, what do you do with Cruel that? joke, the universe. That's crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, in that instance, you really just have to like talk things out and, and, you know, tell your partner what you need. So then you have to figure out for yourself what you need. So then you can tell your partner what you need or what you want. Um, and you can try to either build intimacy to have sex and then men can have sex to have that intimacy. And I think you're hitting on something really huge there though, because that's how it can perpetuate the cycle as well as if, if you're waiting for your partner to be physical with you prior to you showing up or investing or meeting your partner's needs, mm-hmm. and then they're doing the same thing, how are you ever going to, like, who's going to roll up their sleeves and kind of get working and lean in and try to work on mm-hmm. stuff Yeah. Because a lot of times people, I'm sure you can relate when listed in the office, potentially if it's been going on long enough, it's like, well, you, well, you, well, you need to do oh this, my God. you need to do this. And it's like, it really is a dynamic. It is. And then people think that, sex should just, even when they're in that dynamic, that's just not going anywhere. And then they think that sex should just happen like, oh, and it should be romantic and it should be sexy. And so I tell my clients all the time, I'm like, you know, I'm very sorry, but this actually will be awkward at first and it will take some work and a lot of communication. And so there's probably going to be some planning, right. Or some like communication that isn't sexy, right. It's going to be like, wait, 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 don't touch me there. No, no, no. Okay. Um, you, you know, you really have to figure stuff out and break it down. And that's how you kind of like you have building blocks again to get back. So there you need to be communicating. It's going to be awkward, but you know, when you're in that dynamic or in a dynamic at all, when sex isn't happening, it's usually going to take a lot of communication and some awkward moments to get to a good place. But usually if you do those things and you follow through with, with trying and communicating and stuff, then it does become sexy again. It just not right away. Yeah. Even something you desire or crave, or at least like you desire to make that a priority in the in protected time to just engage mm-hmm. with the physical intimacy. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Right. Making time, making time is huge. Yeah. And I want to um, circle back to when you were talking about Emily Nagowski's accelerators and breaks, which is huge. And Joe and I had the luxury of meeting Emily in person. She is just awesome. So check out her so book. Cool. She's yeah, she's so fun too. Uh, she comes first. It's an awesome book. However, when she does talk about the accelerators and breaks, I think she hits on something there, which is really important is a lot of times people will focus on the accelerators. Like what do we mm-hmm. need to do to spice this up? Or what, what, like, do we get the massage oils, this, this X, Y, Z, mm-hmm. But if your foot is on those brakes, what you were saying, those obstacles and those yes. um, things that will hold you back, you're not very likely to get very far. That's right. That's right. And so, yeah, you need to focus on both. And one other thing that you um, talk about really well is how to navigate rejection. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, let's say the lower desire partner is constantly saying no, 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 without mm-hmm. a lot of communication as to solution focus or how we can try to work mm-hmm. on this or what's going on for you. Um, yeah. A higher desire partner can start to feel rejected or hurt or feel like you're not attracted to them anymore. It can oh, start to yeah. affect 
self-esteem or, you know, the list can go on. And again, it's deep, as you're saying, every relationship, every person, and it's deeply personal and intimate mm-hmm. to those people. But what are some things that you talk about around that piece of it of rejection and trying to navigate that aspect of it? Yeah. Because a lot of times people don't want to take a risk again. Right. They, don't, they can't take the rejection yeah. again and they're worried about totally. how that's going to rock the boat. So how do you talk about that? You know, totally. Lay it on us. Yeah. Share your wisdom <laughs> with us, Joe, please. Well, let's see. The rejection stuff can be really rough. You're you're absolutely right. Like people will feel unattractive. Um, they'll feel like just like they're um, undesirable. And it's not usually that, right? It's usually just a low desire partner just does not feel sexual desire at that moment. Maybe they're feeling responsive desire or they have um, responsive desire kind of lingering, but they don't know. And so rejection can be really gutting. And so one of the things is saying something like, you know, not now, but, you know, revisiting it. If, if there is still sex happening in the relationship, but it's, you know, and it's not totally a minefield to like approach and talk about sex, um, you can say not now, but, you know, go back, I'll come back to you within 24 hours, right? And so, again, like not very sexy, but nice to know that they're going to come back to you, right? They're not turning away. They're not just saying no. They're saying not right now, but okay, this weekend, like, let's do it this weekend. Is that okay? Like something like that. And then another piece I do steal from Nagowski again, which is um, the, she uses the pizza analogy, right? And so mm-hmm. it's like, instead of saying like, no, I don't want sex, which can just feel like a big rejection, like you were just saying, Kelly, she'll say, um, you know, talk about it in terms of pizza. Like you want to have pizza. It's like, (laughs) um, Oh, you want pizza tonight? Yeah. I want pizza tonight. Okay. I don't know. Not, not tonight. Can we do pizza tomorrow night? Like, okay. Yeah. Pizza tomorrow night. And when you use different language for sex, it really does something. It takes it, it makes it less personal and it, it makes it something that is just easier to talk about. Would you say? Oh, absolutely. And I love that you're um, saying the pizza analogy, but also it, it comes down to like, oh, I don't have a taste for that right now. Right. Mm-hmm. But maybe I have a taste for something else. And you know, who doesn't crave pizza eventually? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm really getting off topic here because I'm thinking about pizza now, well, but, I, pizza, but I love pizza and sex, like even bad pizza is not that bad right and like Fair sex enough. I don't know <laughs> same you know, the same I do think that you're touching on something else there too always you're always touching and touching those spots so you just <laughs> only with you <laughs> <laughs> But you're touching on something there where it's um I'm losing my train of thought because I'm getting dirty in my mind. <laughs> um, what were you touching? We we're talking about pizzas. Da, 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 da. The I rejection, like I don't want pizza tonight. I'll pizza tomorrow night. Oh, um, I was gonna, I was gonna talk about um the kinds of pizza you want. Like, what do you want yes. on your pizza? Because a lot of times mm-hmm. people will be like you know, it's going to take me an hour to get to the climax. It's going to take, mm-hmm. like, I don't have that energy or stamina or whatnot. So a lot of times when people are thinking of goal oriented sex or just like trying yeah. to go after the orgasm, it could just be a lot of pressure. Or if one partner yeah. said, if I don't bring you to climax and something's wrong. And so it's like, yeah, brutal pressure that people put on making this pizza, like so perfect mm-hmm. now that you're yeah. talking about it. So yeah, I think, so um, yeah. That's, yeah. So let's say number one, a um, majority of women do not orgasm from penis and vagina sex, right? So we'll just put that out there. So like if someone is pressuring someone to come during sex, like penis and vagina sex, that's just brutal. Like that's that's like not um, not a good place to be basically for anyone. And then with the pizza part, yeah. So it could be like, oh, do you want pizza? Like, yeah, I want pizza supreme, right? Or like, um, or like, yeah, I'll just cheese. Like we'll just do cheese tonight, right? Which is maybe a quickie. And which, you know, I know that, um, that, you know, as well is, um, like maintenance sex, right? Like maintenance sex is really important in a relationship. People think 
that, you know, they need to be having this like really intimate and wild or whatever sex all the time or just majority of the time. And that's not actually true. You know, that can, it just, it's personal to every relationship. But at the same time, having just maintenance sex is good to keep the intimacy there, to keep the connection there, and just to keep sex happening in the relationship. And so maybe that pizza supreme only happens like, you know, whenever, once a week, once a month, like who knows, but that maintenance sex is there. And that's really what people, um, what keeps people connected and feeling intimate, like day to day. And more comfortable with their sexuality too, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Because Mm -hmm. if you go months, years, potentially without having, being naked around each other or being physical with each other, then it can be really hard to kind of get that. Mm -hmm. Like you were even saying, it's going to be really awkward. We're going to fumble where it's going to be, you know, strange at first, but if you can, remain comfortable with each other and it it really does to help open up those lines of communication both physically and emotionally that's right yeah absolutely it definitely keeps people in the flow so to speak so what i'm really gathering from this conversation joe is that Mm -hmm. it's important to have that psychosexual education around desire Mm -hmm. and the difference between um responsive desire and spontaneous desire and that there Mm -hmm. is so much more that goes into sex than just orgasms and penis and vagina and, you know, as someone like Miguel would say, is pleasure is the measure. So really, love it. what is your motivation for having sex? And mm-hmm. is it to have, you know, be close for pleasure, for orgasm, all these mm-hmm. different reasons? That's right. Absolutely. Well, where do you feel like people could get started with some of this stuff? Like oh, if someone's man. feeling like I'm not in the mood ever, or my partner's never in the mood ever. Like, yeah, right. is it reading stuff, watching TED Talks, like whatever? Or- yeah. So, you know, what it comes down to is the individual. And so even in a relationship, it comes down to the individual feeling comfortable and sexual and that starts with with themselves that's it and so really the bottom line is just to begin to like welcome and invite pleasure into your life and so that can start you know i usually start with my clients i tell them next time you're in the shower dim the lights or light a candle and um, when you get in the shower, the water, like it has to start just kind of warm. And then as you're in there for longer, it can get hot, right? Like you can turn the water hotter because you become uh, more acclimated to it. And, you know, when you have the soap, like feel how it feels on your body. And when you wash different parts of your body, and it's kind of a mindfulness exercise, but it also engages the senses and it slows things down. And it's not focused on fixing something. It's just feeling pleasure on your body. And that's just the beginning is what does it feel like for you to feel good? And can you do more of that? Can you invite more of that into your life? Um, You know, maybe you have some sort of like really soft and fuzzy jacket that you just rush on and rush off and it doesn't matter. But if you put it on and you actually like rub your hands on it for a moment and you're like, oh, wow, this is really soft. It's not sexual stuff. It's just starting to feel things again and, and feeling pleasure again. And then from there, you know, people can become better acquainted with themselves and start to self-pleasure and that that's really huge to know your own body is the most important thing because then you can tell someone else what you like and so that's the starting point and then when it comes to couple stuff you know I think it's talking about like really just being honest, like this is where we're at. (laughs) And it kind of is like not a great place to be, but let's try to figure it out. I want to figure it out. I've started to become, you know, I want to feel more into my body and then let's kind of do that together and then just come together and starting to spend more time together, like without the phone, um, with the intention of, you know, having fun um, and inviting fun into the relationship. Like not everything should be so heavy. And I think, I think that that's the start. I love that. It it really is about inviting more 
more pleasure into your life and waking Mm -hmm. and awakening your senses too and practicing that mindfulness around what feels good for you and can you be more present with those sensations moment by moment which is easily it's which is easier to transfer into um you know a sexual experience or an intimate experience yeah definitely and then you know one thing that we haven't talked about yet is um uh like more of Perel and Snarch like finding a balance in the relationship right a and so sense of self yeah that's we right. talk about David Snarch I'm so sad to hear that he passed are you kidding me but I'm still in track about, about that but if you could please yeah definitely relay some of his incredible research and findings yes and so he and um, and Esther Perel, our other favorite, um, they kind of touch on the same thing, which is in a relationship, people need to be autonomous and then they need to be intimate. And so there needs to be a balance of autonomy and intimacy in a relationship for there to be sexual desire and basically for there to be attraction. If the relationship is just too close and too intimate, then that, you know, one doesn't desire what they already have. We don't desire something that's really like a second helping of ourselves. Like we want someone who's different. We want someone where there's some mystery. And then, you know, that being said, in order to feel attraction, there needs to be some separateness. You know, if you think about if you have a partner or even think about someone that you've been with in the past or whatever, and you think about attraction, you can tell when you feel more attracted to your partner and when you don't. And so Perel would say that attraction is never without an element of distance right? She'll Mm -hmm. say, um, and mystery and mystery. Yeah. And so you can pay attention to attraction and you can pay attention to desire in that way. And, um, and if, if you, if the relationship is just too, if the people in the relationship, oh yeah. And and then I was going to say, if the people in the relationship are just too autonomous, then, (laughs) then um then the eye starts to wander and there's just not enough intimacy to be like bringing people together so yeah so there's a sweet spot somewhere in the middle of autonomy and of intimacy and that's that's like the differentiation that's that sweet spot where you know you can feel intimacy and sexual desire freely and there's not um but it's not forced and and you still have your own life and then you have a connection with your partner and so that's really what's most recommended and I and I love that you're touching on that too, because it, again, it comes down to a dynamic and it being so deeply personal for every relationship. Cause mm-hmm. some partners might like to be a little bit more closer than other partners. And so yes. it really is about finding that sweet spot or that, you know, that magical, that magical place in the middle. And it can change and evolve over time too, because even, you know, going through the transition of having children, potentially, mm-hmm. if you're feeling really uh, touched out by your kids and whatnot, that could change mm-hmm. and affect the influence of feeling too domesticated where you might crave more autonomy, but you are more yes. close for that period of time. So there, right. it really is being mindful and paying attention to all those different things that are feeding into the possibility mm-hmm. for desire. Yes, exactly. And I don't know if anyone listening, you know, I'm sure some people have kids. I have a couple of kids. I never knew I would talk to my partner so much in my whole life. We're talking about shit constantly. Is this here? Can you do this? Where is this? I don't want to talk to him that much. I want way more distance than that. <laughs> well, way more of like fantasy and a mystery about what's going <laughs> yeah. on for him. Right. But you're you're like thrust into that when you have kids. And um, and so also, you know, that touches on that more touching, which is Friday night, that. touching it all over. <laughs> oh, during During the life cycle transition stages, sexual desire can wane in a relationship or sex can wane in a relationship. And so that's... Normalize um, this. Yes. (laughs) That's like... 
um, a family with young children, a family with aging parents, or um, when people are aging themselves, right? Like uh, our bodies are constantly changing. We have to adjust our our um, our ideas of what of what sexy is and what sex should look like. Um, and so the different life cycle transition, the, the stages, those are just natural bumps in the road. And so, you know, again, um, sexual desire discrepancy happens in normal, healthy relationships, normal, healthy relationships. I think it's just like so important to like scream that from the rooftop. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this happens. Yeah. I'll say it louder. Um, <laughs> normal, healthy relationships, <laughs> because it really is important to know that it happens and you're not mm. alone in this, but it really no. is about how to navigate it and talk right. about it and work through right. it together. Yeah. And there are just some, you know, seasons of your life that you don't want to be having sex all the time. And so that's something that we need to understand about our partners too, is that we need to give them space to be who they are and to feel into their bodies as well. So, um, so I think that that's really important too, that if there is a low desire partner that they can be given space. And then again, getting into that, you know, that sexual relationship with ourself is the our most important sexual relationship. And so if your partner isn't wanting to have sex, develop your own sex life. Like do, you know, figure out um, how you like to be touched and how you like to self-pleasure. And if you like different toys, like you can, you can do whatever you want with yourself, you know? Yeah. No, and yeah. I, I love yeah. that. And you know, I know you I know. hear you talk all day. I'm, <laughs> I'm very fortunate that I get to hear you talk like all the time, but I could, I could listen to you a lot more. <laughs> But anyways, what I really also wanted to touch on with speaking of Esther Perel, she, um, one of her favorite things that she mentions in a talk that I recently went to of hers was, or I think she even says it in her podcast, you know, she, she, her and her messages, she will say like, you know, in a, in a lifetime, people will go through three to four significant relationships mm-hmm. throughout their lifetime. Some people will go through those with the same person. Mm-hmm. So even what you're saying with people going through identity shifts, yeah, like giving a little bit more space to rediscover or evolve and change and mm-hmm. really be able to write that story together, write a new yeah. chapter together. That's right. Absolutely. Um, and I know we're talking about, you know, families with young children and like a woman becoming a mother um, is, I think, one of the biggest shifts that happens for people. And um, and so, yeah, so giving that that identity time to you know, to just kind of acclimate or uh, equilibrate again before trying to push anything is really important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a really fun conversation, Joe. Is there anything Super else that you fun. feel like would be helpful to share as we're signing, I mean, getting I, ready to sign off? I don't know. I just know that like, we I can go know. on and on. And I know, like, we're going to listen to this. <laughs> oh, we should talk about this and this and this. So I know you're definitely going to be coming back. Yeah. We'll probably come, do a few of these again together. And again. Come again and again. <laughs> That's right. Um, I honestly, I think that we kind of touched. <laughs> Again with the touch. Oh my God. We uh we spoke a little bit about a lot of the important things, right? So we talked about Perel, we talked about Snarch, we talked about Nagowski. Um, I didn't reference Dr. Rosemary Bassam, but she's who I'm talking about when I talk about spontaneous desire and responsive desire. She's Canadian. Um, Shout out. She's Canadian. She's awesome. Yeah. She really changed the feel. She um, changed the sexual response, um, uh, you know, whatever way for the whole field. I think to she look did a great at job. More than just yeah. a physiological response to sex. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, as we're talking here, Joe, um, you know, I get to, something that sometimes I take for granted is that we get to talk about this stuff all the time. And, you know, anytime mm-hmm. we're going through personal stuff, we can hop on the phone and just like say it like it is. And so yeah, right. part of that too is in trying to support yourself 
myself is try to have conversations with friends yeah, or community. Right. If you do feel completely alone and don't even know where to start, like reach out to, you know, a sex therapist um, yes. to help you explore, even help you get started with resources and whatnot. Right. Because it, it it can be vulnerable and hard and not, you know, mm-hmm. a big, huge, like, I don't know where to start or go with this. Right, right. Um, but, you know, I think just like knowing that it's natural, mm-hmm. it's part of our identities and it's something that shouldn't yeah. be kept and dealt with completely on your own because a lot right. of other people have great ideas. That's right. That's right. And, um, and sex is weird to talk about for a lot of people just because the way our society views it in Western culture, like it's everywhere, but you don't talk about it and you're supposed to have phenomenal sex and be a wonderful lover, but you, no one ever teaches you how, right? So it's like, it's just all these, um, yeah, it just does, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. So yeah, if we start talking about it, I think that that's, it just creates such more of a sense of normalcy, um, and self-acceptance around it. So, yeah. Well, thanks so much, Joe. So Joe and I do love to run a, uh, online workshop on sexual Mm -hmm. desire. It's called May has desire and we run it a few times a year. So please check it out. If you're interested to learn more and work with us more personally together. That's right. Um, That's right. We have, we have one coming up, right? Yeah. February. Mm-hmm. Yeah. February 2021 um, but we will also probably offer one like in the fall or whatnot too so mm-hmm. that'll be good and yeah. then Joe runs a private practice in Chicago so check her mm. out yeah Bliss Chicago, Bliss Chicago. Yeah. and then I am located at Bliss Counseling in Uptown Waterloo well thank you so much for being here Joe and I know you're definitely gonna be back and we're gonna stay on after we're done recording this and just keep talking <laughs> okay all right thanks so much for having me I love talking about this stuff love you Bye.